Well, there is an infectious disease running rampant among people today that infects many, if not most, even though they really don't want to admit that they have it. This disease can atrophy the muscles. It's a disease that can deaden the senses so that you don't know when you've had enough or when you've gone too far. It's a disease that's particularly difficult to detect because it doesn't necessarily show up externally. In fact, it's a disease that you can cover up quite easily. It's a disease that's, if it's left untreated, can be particularly catastrophic and even fatal. But it is a disease that, if treated according to the prescription that is well known, it's a disease that can be overcome and ultimately eradicated. Some of you have already figured it out, but the disease that I'm talking about is the disease of worldliness. Worldliness. Worldliness is a, a, a plague. In fact, the greatest plague threatening the church today. It infects every church in varying degrees and every ministry within those churches. It infects compass and it infects the bridge as well. C.J. Mahaney described or defined worldliness this way. He said this, Worldliness is a love for this fallen world. It's loving the values and the pursuits of the world that stand opposed to God. More specifically, it's to gratify and exalt oneself to the exclusion of God. It rejects God's rule and replaces it with our own. It exalts our opinions above God's truth. It elevates our sinful desires for the things of this fallen world above God's commands and promises. That's what we're talking about, just so we're on the same page, when we're talking about worldliness. That's what John talks about in 1 John 2, 15 through 17, when he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. He's saying, do not love worldliness. Do not love the things that stand opposed to God. Do not love the things that have values that are against what God values. Do not do the things that transgress God's word. Do not be entertained by the things that put Christ on the cross. This is what John is saying. Do not love the world or the things in the world for the the things in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life, John says, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And he says the, the world is, is passing away. The love of the world. John says, look, if you love the world, you have not the love of the Father. You cannot love the world and love God at the same time. Jesus said it when he was talking about money in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, look, you cannot serve both God and money. You, know, you can take the word money out of that and put God and the world for you will love the one and hate the other. And you might think to yourself or say to yourself, well, Pastor PJ, I'm here. I'm at the bridge. I cut this time out of my life to be here tonight. I go to small group. I do this. I do that. Isn't it clear that obviously I, I love God? Well, no, not necessarily. Matthew chapter 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addresses those who had one foot in the church and one foot in the world. And he says that on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we show up at church? 
Didn't we go to small group? Didn't we memorize scripture? Didn't we pray? Well, didn't, there was that one time I went on that short-term mission trip and I, I shared the gospel while I was there. Well, look at all that I did for you. And Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount by saying, he will then look at them and say, depart from me, for I never knew you. The text that we're going to be in tonight is Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. So grab your Bibles, if you would. Open them up to Ephesians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, Nathan, are there some Bibles on that cart back there by Nathan? If you want to have a, a Bible in your hands and you don't have one, we can get one in your hands. If you'll just raise your hand, we'll get one to you. Because I want you to put your eyes on the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul opens this, and he says this in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. He says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. This whole series that we've been in, this related series, is all about how our relationship with Jesus changes our relationship to everything else. And this opening call in Ephesians chapter 5 is, hey, you know what? You need to imitate God. You need to imitate God by imitating Jesus. Look at Jesus and be like Jesus. And here's the fundamental and foundational truth, which hopefully is plain to all of us, and that is if you are like Jesus, you will be unlike what? You will be unlike the, the world. And so that's this opening call here, imitate God. But then we find this in verse three, he says, but, he says, but in your, your striving to imitate God and you're striving to be like Jesus, he says this, but sexual immorality and impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. In other words, an empty word saying it's okay for you to continue to have this sin in your life. It's okay for you to be sexually immoral and impure and covetous and still go to heaven. He's saying, let no one deceive you with empty words. For on account of these things, the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. As he's describing worldliness in these opening few verses here one of the things that we notice about worldliness is worldliness is ultimately about self-satisfaction, whereas godliness is about self-denial. Look at the sins that he talks about here. The first two that he lists there, sexual immorality and impurity. The word sexual immorality is where we get our word pornography in our culture today. But it had to do with the act of adultery, the act of sex. But then he's going to broaden that and say even you know, we're going to talk about all impurity, every kind of sexual sin. He's saying all of that, that has no place in the life of a believer, in the life of a Christian. Whatever the category is, by using those two words, by using sexual immorality and impurity, Paul is saying there's no, there's no pocket over here where you can get off the hook by saying, well, I haven't gone this far, so I haven't had sex, so thereby I'm not sinning against God. Paul's saying, no, you are. 
And the things that you are doing, the things that you are choosing willfully to do is going to draw what? The wrath of God upon you if you persist in these things. Covetousness. Greed. That is wanting what's not yours. By the way, that's related to sexual sin, isn't it? All sexual sin is derived out of a desire to have what's not yours to have. And then he moves into covetousness and he says, look, just in general, covetousness, which he says later and defines it as idolatry. You see something and you say, man, I don't have that. I want that and I'm not going to be happy unless I get that. Or the critical spirit of covetousness says, I want that, that person has it, and therefore I, I dislike that person, or I, I have ill feelings towards that person because they have what I want, what I feel like I deserve, what I need. Paul says that has no place in a believer's life. And then he says filthiness. It's an umbrella word for everything that he's talking about in this passage. It's kind of the, the overarching theme that which is disgusting in the eyes of God. Foolish talk, he goes on to talk about. Foolish talk, it's, it's literally a, a compound word, moros, lagos. What English word do you think we get from moros? Moron. Moronic language. And he's not talking about intellect. He's talking about morally foolish talk. Someone who speaks lightly of immoral things. Someone who's entertained by immoral things, right? We would certainly put, I mean, at, at base in foolish talk, I would put profanity. It's much more than that, but y'all, that's, that's fundamental and foundational. There's nothing that causes me to shake my head more than when I see a grown man using profanity or a grown woman using profanity. It is one of the most unattractive things about a person. There are far more words in the English language for you to use than to fall back on the imbecilic, if that's even a word, I don't know. There it is, I, I coined it. There's another one. You can tuck that one away for you. Use that one even. You don't need to use profanity. It doesn't make you look cool. It makes you look stupid. And it's a sign of the world, not a sign of a believer in Jesus Christ. He goes on crude joking. We don't need to dive into that. You guys know what that is, right? When you hear it, you know what you, that's, that's talking about. Again, making light of immoral things. Paul's so serious about all this that he says, you know what, these things, they must not even be named amongst Christians. In other words, don't even really talk about these things. Don't even bring them up in conversation. What does that look like? Well, that looks like you guys sitting around the table going, hey, did you see the latest news about this celebrity gossip and, and what happened here? And it's something that's just crude and vulgar and, and, and off-putting. He says, don't even talk about the things that the world is out doing. These things must not even be named among you believers. Man, Paul, why? Why are you so firm on this? Why so strong on this, Paul? Well, because of these reasons. We read in Ephesians 5.5 5 already, for you may be sure of this, everyone who is sexually immoral, impure, covetousness, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. But how about these other verses? 1 Corinthians 6.9, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. None of that. If that defines you, if that is who you are, if you are making a practice of these things, Paul says you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Eternity is at stake is what he's saying. Hebrews 13, 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. Why? Because God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I'm not done. In the book of Revelation, John says this, as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Revelation twenty-two fifteen. speaking of being outside of the new Jerusalem, outside the gates, which is not a place you want to be. He says, outside of the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. See, the the primary danger of worldliness is that it can be right at home in the life of a nominal Christian. Somebody who shows up here week after week after week, and yet they are living a life of immorality, and they are not repentant about it. And worldliness owns them. And they show up here and they say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but the reality is what they are is they are self-deceived. And again, how many times have I said it before that God gives us verses like this and lists like we find here in Ephesians 5 so that we will what? So that we will take our lives and hold them up to the standard, not my standard. If you're mad at me because I'm telling you you shouldn't be doing these things, don't get mad at me, get mad at God. And hold it up to the standard, which is God's standard to say, does my life measure up? And here's the thing, guys, if you continually go back to God's word and your life falls short, the problem is not that you're having an off day. The problem is that you are outside of the grace of God, that you are self-deceived into thinking that you are saved. But as James says, you say you have faith. What does he say next? Show me. As we read through this this list of things, as you see them on the pages in Ephesians chapter five, let me ask you the question, is your life marked by these things? Sexual immorality, impurity, deceit. Again, that so often is associated with those other things as well. Covering up, hiding, deceiving, trying to put yourself off as someone that you're not. And just as a sidebar, guys, can I just let you know that you are not fooling anyone here, those of you that are in this boat? I love you enough to tell you that I don't think for a second that you are in Christ, some of you in this room, and neither do your leaders. And so I don't, I don't know why you keep showing up and keep playing the game. 
What I want from you to do from you is I want you to actually genuinely repent from your sin and put your faith in Jesus and come to true, genuine, saving faith in Christ. And if you do that, that is going to, as we've been talking about this whole series, transform your relationships with everything else. And it's going to start here with your relationship to worldliness. Y'all, if, if these things mark your faith in your, your, rather your life, not your faith, if these things mark your life, if these characterize who you are, it's a continual ongoing pattern in your life that you are continually giving yourself over to sexual sin, to covetousness, to, to foolish talk, to crude joking. If these are ongoing in your life, then my question for you tonight is what confidence that do you have that you are actually in Christ? And maybe you respond, well, I believe in the gospel. James says even the demons believe the gospel and they shudder about it. They are, they tremble at the gospel. You spit on the gospel by going out and fornicating and having sex and talking about things you shouldn't be talking about and living like somebody who's totally an unbeliever and all the while you're playing church on the weekends the way you used to play house while you were growing up. Why? What confidence do you have in your standing with Jesus if that's you tonight? And I'm not talking to all of you. Right? I'm not trying to talk to all of you. I'm trying to talk to those of you and you know who you are, where your life is plagued by worldliness. And you know that it's not right. And you've got small group leaders like I preached on a couple weeks ago who love you and are pursuing you and are chasing you and are, are coming at you and they are a grace of God in your life and you just keep kicking the can down the road week after week after week, not wanting to deal with it, thinking that you're fine and the reality is you're not. Guys, if your life is marked by worldliness, you should have no confidence in your standing with Christ. Point number one tonight is this, fully comprehend the dangers of worldliness. Fully comprehend the dangers of worldliness. Jesus says this in Luke chapter six, he illustrates what I'm driving at here. He says, for no good tree, no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for a tree is known by its own fruit. Pastor Peter, are you saying that a, a, a true Christian never sins, never has anything worldly in their life? No, I'm not. Uh, right, a healthy apple tree could have a, a few bad apples on it with every crop, right? But a healthy apple tree is not going to produce the majority of it as bad apples. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus just hit it right there. That last line. Y'all, if, if you have the worldliness disease, the heart of the matter is a heart matter. And you can't fix that by putting off a front, putting on a mask, putting up a facade, pretending like everything's okay. If you're in Christ, y'all, there should be a clean break with the world and not a flirtation with it. So if you're rationalizing your sin, if you're ignoring the scriptures, 
if you're brushing off your small group leader, if you're justifying why you're the exception to the rule, I want you to hear from me clearly tonight. You are in grave danger of being self-deceived. Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 4, verses 23 through 27, he says this. He says, keep your heart with all vigilance. Some of the older translations have a better word there than keep. Say, guard it. Guard your heart. Protect your heart with all vigilance from what you are putting into it. Jesus just said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What you take in is then ingested and internalized and it, it, it flows back out. He says, guard your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and let your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Watch out for your walking. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Y'all, the reason why these texts are in the Bible is so that we will be warned. They're there for our good. They're there to protect us. They're there to keep us on the straight and narrow. And when Paul wrote in Ephesians 5, y'all, the, the danger of being self-deceived was real then. The danger of being self-deceived is real now. And death is coming. And once you die, it's done. And there's no going back and there's no do-overs. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 5, 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. If you guys get mad at me tonight and you never want to come back to the bridge, that's fine. You can go find a church that's going to not preach about this stuff. And, and they are going to preach fluff to you and you're going to feel better and you're going to feel validated and it's going to be all about self-help and self-care and self-esteem and self-glorification. And you know where that's going to get you. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. The stakes are high. And so how much of these things that are drawing the wrath of God are you participating in? How much of these things are you entertained by? Instead, we can give no quarter, no tolerance, no space to worldliness in our life. Worldliness and Christianity are incompatible with one another. And that's why, as Paul continues, it must be eradicated completely. Look at verse 7. Therefore, do not become partners with them. With who? With those that are self-deceived. With those who have bought into the lie that they can be in Christ and in the world, and it's fine. With those that have bought into the lie that it doesn't matter if I'm sleeping with my girlfriend before marriage, because after all, what, what, who cares? It's not that big of a deal. With those that just spew filth from their mouth on a regular basis. Uh, Paul is saying, look, uh, do not become partners with them. Why, Paul? For at one time you were in darkness, but now a change has taken place. Now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. 
for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That passage begins in verse 7. Therefore, again, as a result of what's coming to those that are of the world, which is what the wrath of God that's coming on the sons and daughters of disobedience, right? Therefore, have nothing to do with them. That's what one translation says when it says, do not become partners with them. There's a translation that says, have nothing to do with them. And they're getting it right there. That's what he's talking about. Don't share in their activities. Don't participate alongside them. Separate, cut that off, back away. Well, Pastor PJ, shouldn't we be a light in the midst of a darkness and should we evangelize? Yes. But you don't need to participate in sin to evangelize. God forbid that you would participate in sin while you're evangelizing. You're trying to convince somebody that they need to be saved from a sin. You're going to jump in with both feet into the sin that they need to be saved from? He says, have nothing to do with them. Why? Because at one time you were in darkness, but you're not darkness anymore. Now he says you're light. Jesus talked about light and darkness in the gospel of John. In John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21, he says, this is the judgment. Light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. Why? Because if he does, his works are going to be seen. His sins are going to be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Or John 8, 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Light and dark, light and dark, light and dark. The Bible often talks in these dualistic categories. In fact, the Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 1, 13 through 14. He says, he, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness. There's that word. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. There's a departure that needs to take place between you and the darkness. You are now light, not darkness. And light and darkness cannot coexist. Light will always dispel the darkness. What does this look like? What should I be doing? Well, this change, this transformation is described, I think, well by Paul in, a, in Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 14. He says, look, now that you're in Christ, now that you've died with Christ and you've been raised to life with him, to walk in newness of life is what he's just said, right? He said, what should you do now? Well, let not sin now reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. That's what you used to do. That was your life in darkness. Day after day after day, you woke up and you offered yourself to your own fleshly desires. Like John says, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. That's what controlled you. And you were just a tool. You were a tool for ungodliness. Paul says, now that you are in Christ, now that you have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, through the redemption and the forgiveness that we have been given through Christ, he says, now, no longer do that, but now what? But present yourself to God now as those who have been brought from, here's another dualistic category, from death to life, and your members, your body, to God as an instrument for righteousness. 
For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Again, there's another dualistic category, law and grace. The Bible is clear. It makes these categories. And our culture doesn't like black and white, but the problem is God does. He likes these categories. He likes the black and white categories. He likes the dualism. And so Paul says in verse 8, then back in our, our passage, Ephesians 5, walk then as children of light. You're not in the darkness anymore. You're in the light. So you need to be walking as children of light. What does that look like? Well, the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And our world would, would take those words and say, I'm, I'm, I'm good with that as long as I get to define what's good and right and true. Uh-uh. You don't, sorry. In fact, a lot of what the world is going to tell you is good and right and true, the Bible is going to tell you is horribly wrong and sinful and ungodly and depraved. So it's walk as children of light for the fruit of light is found in all that God defines as good and right and true and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Walk, that's that word that means live a consistent pattern of life in the light. Take no part, verse 11, in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, bring them to the light for it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Again, take no part. Is Paul... Has Paul been clear enough here for us? Have nothing to do with them, verse 7. Verse 11, take no part in them. Separate yourself from them. Right? It's like at the, the outbreak of this pandemic, before we really knew anything about it, and it was here, and it was crazy, and we didn't know what was going on, and the numbers were going up, and things were beginning to shut down anytime you saw anybody not in your own household, there was a little bit of skepticism there, wasn't there? It's like, dude, are you going to kill me when you sneeze on me? Because we didn't know. So we perceived a threat. We perceived a danger, right? And we acted accordingly. Okay, we know what the danger is here. And Paul's saying, keep your distance. Don't socially distance from them, spiritually distance from them, right? have nothing to do. Take no part in what? In the unfruitful works of darkness. Well, what are those? We already read them in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, but here they are again. The works of the flesh, the unfruitful works of darkness, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. By the way, if you're wondering, well, I don't hang out with witches or witch covens. Maybe some of you do. Stop it. Um, so I'm, I'm good with sorcery. Sorcery is from the, the word where we get the word pharmaceuticals. Uh, it actually was the, the drug world of first century AD. And so Paul is writing and saying, hey, look, uh, uh, drugs, there, you can read. Uh, enmity, relational problems, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, in Ephesians, he says, do not have anything to do with them or any of the people that practice them. Take no part in these things. Y'all, saying that you follow Jesus should be supported by a life that evidences that you follow Jesus. That's what James is saying in James chapter 2, right? Before you throw the legalistic label out here, let's back up. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Yes, amen, 100% of the time. But here's the deal. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, written by the same dude that wrote that, and the same guy that wrote what we're saying here, says if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. So don't look at me and preach 
Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, at me, and call me a legalist if your life looks like the, the dirtbag, sleazebag, sinful life of every other person that hates God in this world and tell me you're fine because it's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. I'm going to say, yes, but are you a new creation? And if so, show me. See, guys, words that are not connected to a transformed heart are empty and powerless. Empty and powerless. If you're in Christ, y'all, your relationship, as we've been talking about in this series, to this world has changed, and there needs to be a clean break from that. Point number two tonight, fully break with the practices of worldliness. Fully break with the practices of worldliness. Picture this, you're diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. You go in and you've been a chain smoker for your whole life. You started when you were like three. It's been really rough for you. You go in and the doctor says, hey, I've got bad news. You have stage four lung cancer, but I've got good news. We've got an experimental new drug that's come out and it's shown a lot of really good progress and people are actually making a full recovery even with advanced stage four lung cancer. And so we're gonna give you this drug and you should make a full recovery. But here's the thing, um, you can never touch a cigarette for the rest of your life. Would you trade life and health for the temporary joy brought by smoking a cigarette, knowing that that's going to undo what the medication has done for you. That illustration falls short because if, if we're saved, we can't undo what God has done for us in Christ. But you guys get the point, right? It's like there, there's, there's a break. I'm not doing that anymore because I see the harm that it did to my body, right? Well, spiritually, guys, do you see the harm that sin did to your body? And, and more importantly, to the, the, the body of your Savior, of Jesus? And would you go back and trifle with it again? Some of you have said, well, I, I want to be in Christ. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be cured of my sin and its deadly consequences. And I, I want to be around the church and I want to be around Christians, but you're not willing to give up all of your worldliness. Yeah, maybe you want to be less worldly, but you don't want to give it up altogether. Y'all, that, that's having one foot in both places saying, I want my cake and I want to eat it too. That's going to put you in Matthew chapter 7 saying, Lord, Lord, but didn't I do, look at everything I did. And he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. Some of you are mired, as I've been talking about, you're mired in sexual sin. Here's my message to you. If you are in a relationship that is sexually impure, break up with the person. I don't care how long you've been dating. I don't care how sure you are that you're going to marry the person. I don't care about any of that. You need to radically deal with your sin and you need to radically deal with that ungodly, unbiblical relationship and end it right now. I don't care if both of you have gone through Awana and gotten the Timothy Awards and you are memorizing scripture and you pray together and you have all of this intimate communion spiritually together. If you are intimate physically, cut off the relationship. Break up with that person tonight. Y'all, if you are struggling with pornography, get rid of the internet. Go Kirk Cameron from that movie where he took his computer out and he, he beat it to death with a baseball bat. Whatever you need to do, radically deal with it because it's a threat to your relationship with Jesus. And you are in the light now and not in the darkness. 
And you are called not to flirt with the darkness, not to say, well, a little bit of darkness is okay because everybody's got a little bit of darkness. No, you need to say, Jesus, show me where the darkness is and bring the light in. Let's get rid of that darkness because I don't want it anywhere in my life. And if you are intentionally, willfully harboring darkness, please be afraid tonight for your soul. Covetousness. And if that's you, you're always going, man, I got, what, what's, I, I want that. That's going to make me happy. Oh, that person has that, man. I can't believe they don't deserve that. I deserve that. Man, if that's you, then tonight, try to figure out a way to cultivate more gratitude in your heart. Replace the darkness of ingratitude for what the Lord has given you and start to cultivate thankfulness for what God has given you. Wake up every day saying discipline to say, I'm going to give thanks for five things before I start my day. At, the, the, at your lunch break, give thanks for five more things that God has done for you today. At, at dinner time, five more things. And then when you go to bed, five more things. Work on cultivating that heart of, of gratitude for what the Lord has done for you. If it's your speech, if you struggle with profanity, if you struggle with what you talk about, well, the answer there is you need to clean house on what you are putting in. You need to stop listening to the music that's filling you with the profanity that's coming out of your mouth. You stop watching the shows that's filling your mind with the images that then you're prone to talk about. You need to clean house on the input so that the output will then also be transformed. Because again in verse 12, what does Paul say? It's shameful even to speak of these things. It's shameful even to speak of these things that they do in secret. In fact, grab your Bibles, Psalm 50. Turn to Psalm 50. I want you to see what God thinks about people who have worldliness plaguing their life and then they show up to worship him. I want you to, to, to understand what God thinks about your worship. If you are out there and your life is just mired by worldliness and you think, well, it's okay, I'm gonna come worship and he's gonna be fine with me because of the cross. Listen to what Psalm 50 says. It's also gonna be on the screen, but I, I, I juked you there because I want you to put your eyes on the Bible too, not just on the screen on the word of God so that you don't think I doctored this, right? This is God's word here. Let's read it together. Here's what, what David says. David says this, but to the wicked, God says this, what right have you? What right have you to recite my statutes or to take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you're pleased with him. And you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free reign for evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done and I have been silent and you thought that I was like yourself. You thought, well, God hasn't done anything to me yet. So he must be fine with this. It can't be that serious. Otherwise, God would do something major in my life. But now, God says, I rebuke you and I lay the charge before you. He says in verse 16, how dare you? How dare you live like the world and then show up on Sunday and think that your worship is going to be acceptable to me? Who do you think you are is what he's saying here. And you think just because I haven't struck you with a lightning bolt that you're fine? He says, but now I rebuke you and I lay this charge before you. 
I want to take you back to the New Testament, to Romans chapter 2. Paul says this in verses 1 through 5, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. Because here's the thing about worldliness in the church, is you're always going to look for somebody who's a little bit more worldly than you are in order to make yourself feel better about yourself. Well, I'm not as worldly as that person is over there, so I must be okay. You know, guys, that's what the Pharisees were in the business of doing. He says, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, you practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself? Do you suppose that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume upon the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Well, he hasn't done anything to me yet, so he must be okay with everything. Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. If you think you're getting away with it, you're not getting away with it is what Paul is saying. here. Your hard and impenitent heart is storing up wrath for yourself on the day of judgment. And you may think you have a small group leader fooled or me fooled or your parents fooled, but I know for sure that in the end, you're not going to have God fooled. And he's the only one that matters. Yo, when we sin, we should feel a discord in our lives. It should feel dissonant. Like when you, you hear an off chord played, and you're like, ah, that's, that doesn't sound right. That's what sin should feel like to us. Your sin should make you cringe. You shouldn't be comfortable with your sin. You shouldn't be able to sin without conviction and treat it like it's no big deal or rationalize it or justify it. Again, if that's you and you're able to do that, let me admonish you to be afraid for your soul tonight. You belong to the light. And so you should feel when you're in the darkness. It shouldn't feel right. You make a clean break with the practices of worldliness. And going on, Paul says, when anything is exposed by the light, verse 13, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. And therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. In other words, bring your life, your life to the light of Scripture so that Scripture can expose the darkness. It can expose the sin in your life. It can lay you bare, and you can look at your life and go, okay, I need to get rid of that because it's wrong, it's sinful, it's bad. That's what he's saying there. Come to the light is, is what he's saying. Verse 15, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then he goes on in that passage. And so what happens when we are saved, y'all, and we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the, the kingdom of God, the light, is we begin to see our sin the way that God sees our sin. And when we see our sin the way that God sees our sin, it should make us want to do nothing more than to eradicate it. 
Right? That's Paul in 2 Corinthians 7 when he says, you want to know what godly grief looks like? Godly grief looks like you are putting off your sin and you want to say, I want nothing to do with it ever again and I'm going to do everything I can to distance myself from that sin. I never want to see it again, think about it again, entertain the thought again. Paul says that's what godly grief, that's what true repentance looks like. We see it and, and we want nothing to do with it. And then positively, he says in verse 15, we watch how we walk. We look carefully how we walk. We guard our steps. We guard our hearts. We are not flippant just thinking to ourselves, well, it's no big deal. We're in the word daily. Why? Because we feel like, oh, man, I need this. This is the sword of the spirit. If I don't have this, I'm, I'm toast in the battle against the world. We're with brothers and sisters in Christ and asking them to pray for us because we know that we need them to pray for us. We need their love. We need their support. We need their concern. Look carefully how you walk, making the best use of the time because the days are, are evil. It's a reminder that, man, this world is not getting better. It's getting worse. And it's on a trajectory. It's on a collision course for the return of Jesus. Make the best use of your time. What are you doing with your time? It's an oldie but a goodie, but one of the most sanctifying thoughts you can entertain is this. If Jesus were to come back at that moment when you're doing whatever you're do, you're, you are doing, how would you respond and react to your Savior? How would he respond and react to what you're doing? Understand what the will of God is. First Thessalonians 4, what is it? The will of God is your sanctification, your Christ-likeness, your holiness. That's God's will. Understand what the will of the Lord is. I referenced this earlier, but the writer of Hebrews says the, the Bible is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces between the, the, the division of joints and marrow, right? It lays us bare. The writer of Hebrews says that we are splayed open, that we are naked and exposed before him to whom we must give an account. The Bible opens us up and says, here's the sin. And we have nothing we can do to justify. We have nothing we can do to rationalize because God's word cuts us and shows us and reveals it to us. And so we are left so many times to ask ourselves over and over and over again when the Bible does that for us, okay, here's the command of God. Am I obeying what he's calling me to obey? Students, as you think about battling worldliness, are you walking wisely? Are you making the best use of time? Are you careful about how you conduct yourself or are you putting yourself back in those same situations that lead you to sin? It's one of the main reasons why I said if you are in a sexual relationship right now, break up right now. Because if you don't, you will continue to put yourself back in those same situations. You will end up back in that car, back in that bedroom, back at that hotel, back wherever, and you will be back sinning again and again and again. Are you being careful? Are you being thoughtful? Are you guarding? Are you radically making a break with sin in your life? Guys, if Paul took a look at your thought life, your dating relationship, your words, your browser history, what would he find? So well, Paul can't do that. God does. Not only can he, but he does. Y'all, you can't put your relationship with Jesus in neutral in this world and not expect to get obliterated by worldliness. You will get destroyed by worldliness if you kick your relationship with Jesus into neutral. 
This is about a daily discipline to follow Jesus. Her final point is this, daily guard against the temptations of worldliness. Daily guard against the temptations of worldliness, the dangers of worldliness, daily guard against them. Jesus says this in Luke 9, 23. He said to to everyone, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I feel like I've I've preached this so many times to you guys. I'm I'm a broken record, but I'm not going to apologize because it's so true because it's, it's biblical. And it's this point. The Christian life demands that daily resolve, daily stealing yourself, daily saying, I'm going to follow Jesus and not me today. There is no vacation from sanctification. You've always got to be on, always got to be pursuing Jesus, always got to be choosing him daily, daily, daily. You never get to the place where you're like, well, I'm holy enough that I can kick it into neutral because as soon as you do that, you're toast. You will get obliterated. Daily, remind yourself of the gospel and your standing in Christ. Daily, if we, you just look over one page, take up the armor of God. Ephesians 6.10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And y'all, they don't grow tired or weary or take a day off when it comes to your life. They're gonna always be coming at you. Therefore, verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, shoes for your feet, having put on the, the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray at all times in the spirit. Y'all, daily you need to take up the armor of God. Daily you need to return here to, to Romans 6. And let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, but daily present yourselves to the to, to to God as an instrument of righteousness and not to the flesh as an instrument of unrighteousness. And here's the thing, guys. No one can do this for you. No one. No leader can do this. No pastor can do this. No parent or friend can do this for you. No one can give you this daily resolve to guard against the temptations of worldliness. And and the reality is, for some of you, you have leaders and pastors and parents and friends who care a lot more about your godliness than you do. And in the end, that's not going to do you any good when it's just you and God. No one can will this into action in your life. It has to be you. This is a discipline thing for you. This is a want to thing. This is a a heart matter for you to say, this is what I'm deciding to do. I'm deciding that my relationship with Jesus is the most important relationship in my life. More important than my relationship to the world. More important than my relationship with any human being. More important than my relationship to myself. The most important relationship that I have in this world is Jesus. And Jesus calls me to die to me and to follow him. And you're the only person that can do that. No, worldliness, there's, there's no vaccine for worldliness, but there's a cure. Sanctification is that cure which comes through a relationship with Jesus. And sanctification is that process whereby over time, worldliness is rooted out from your life 
until you go home to be with Jesus and you're finally free from worldliness altogether. That's the cure for worldliness. And if you're here tonight and you would say, I'm, I'm in Christ, I love Jesus, Jesus is everything to me, and your life would bear that out, then I would say to you that this message for you is, is an encouragement to resolve to say, hey, I want to go even harder after the worldliness in my life. I want to look at my life. I want to lay myself open with the word of God and say, God, go at it. Find it. Like David, I want to I pray before the Lord and mean this. Lord, search me. Try me. Know if there's any unpleasing way in my life to you so that I can get rid of it, right? For some of you here, that's the take home tonight. Okay. I'm going to go harder after this. This has been like the fourth quarter pep talk rally. You're going out and you're ready to, to just knock the world between the eyes and lay it out cold on the mat, right? That's what tonight has been for you. But for some of you, you're here tonight and you are living a double life. You have your church life and your real life. And where you sit tonight, you know in your heart there's a massive disconnect about who you put yourself off to be and who you really are. You know in your heart that you are owned by your flesh. You are owned by worldly desires. And you know in your heart that you are not right with Jesus. You love the world and the love of the Father is not in you, as John says. And let me just tell you that if that is you, the take home tonight is this. Tonight is the night for salvation. Tonight is the night to be done playing the game. Tonight is the night to choose Jesus over the world and to kick the world to the curb. Tonight is the night to be done. Tonight is the night to repent from your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because here's the deal, y'all. You need Jesus. And I know you get that because you've heard that. But now you need to decide to believe that and surrender everything to God. To say, okay, God, you can have all of me because all of me needs to be redeemed by Jesus. Tonight is the night for you to pull your leader aside and say, look, I, we need to talk because I, I have been putting myself off as somebody that I'm not. Tonight is the night for you to pull your leader aside and say, look, I, I do fear for my soul because what I see in my life is not a life that's ruled by the, the, the Lord of the universe, by Jesus Christ. It's a, a life that's ruled by my flesh and by this world. Look, we need to talk because I, I, I went through the motions when I prayed the prayer or when I, I was baptized or when I, whatever it may be, I, I'm not in Christ. I need to get in Christ. I want to get in Christ. Choose that Tonight, and you can be transferred, like Paul said, from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his son through the redemption and the forgiveness that is for you tonight in Jesus. You have not sinned yourself outside of the family. You have not sinned yourself beyond the reach of the cross. Jesus' blood is enough for you tonight. But hey, y'all, here's the deal. You gotta come and say, I'm done with me. I'm done. I'm dying to myself. That, that's step one in repentance. It's like, it's not about me anymore. Jesus, it's about you. You want that relationship? You need, okay, here, you have that relationship. You want my identity? Okay, here, you, you have my identity. Whatever it is, it's, you lay it down to say, I want Jesus. Jesus is everything. Give me Jesus, as we sang earlier tonight. Take everything else. Give me Jesus. If that's you tonight, please, 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 
Choose Jesus tonight. Don't leave here thinking this week's going to be different than the last 5,000 weeks that you've lived or however long you've been alive on this face of this planet. Don't leave here tonight believing the empty words and the lie from the enemy because right now the enemy is in your ear if that's you tonight. Thinking, well, I'm gonna, I'm, I'll, I'll just prove that, that I, that's not really me. Things will change this week. This is a good wake-up call for me. But, uh, you know, this is a message for somebody else in the room who really needs to be saved. No, 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 no. If that's the message in your ear, I'm talking to you. You need to be saved tonight. You need to stop it and follow Jesus. And quit trifling with the world. Quit flirting with this world. Come to Jesus tonight. You want to be different? That's where you begin. You can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps on this one. You can't wing it. You need total transformation. And that can only come through Christ. This is the night. For some of you, it's to say, okay, I'm going to ratchet up my game. I'm in Christ. I'm growing in Christ. I'm being sanctified. I'm going to go still harder. I'm going to run after Jesus even more. For some of you in this room tonight, this is another opportunity where the gospel is being brought square in front of your eyes. And here's the thing. You will respond to the gospel tonight one way or the other. You will choose to embrace it and accept it, or you will reject it. And there's only so many times that God will be rejected before he says in Romans chapter 1 that he will turn you over. Man, if you are a visitor tonight, I am so sorry that you dropped in on this, this message. Actually, I'm not, because this is what we're about here. We're about preaching the Bible. We're about taking our relationship with Jesus seriously. Um, yeah, and that's what, that's what Paul's driving at here. If you're in Christ, you can't be in the world. Let's pray. Father, weighty, heavy, hard, difficult message to hear, to preach. But Lord, saturated with what you say in the Bible to be true. God, I, I pray and I ask if I said anything that's not true biblically, that it would be forgotten. But Lord, everything that was true in your word, I pray that if there are students that want to forget it, I pray that you would keep it just plastered on the forefront of their minds. I pray that if there are resistant hearts to you in this room tonight, I pray that if there are students who have not truly bowed the knee, repented from their sins, put their faith in Jesus that are here tonight. God, I, I pray that you would wreck them. I pray that you would make them miserable. I pray that you would remove their idols from their life. I pray that you would give them no place left to turn other than to Jesus. I pray that you would be the burr in the saddle, the pebble in the shoe, the, the toothache in their mouth, God, until they deal with what they need to deal with, which is Jesus. God, that's what's such good news about all this is the cure is not found in and of ourselves. It's an alien cure. It's a cure that comes from you. It's a cure that was the cross where Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins so that we might be forgiven if we repent from our sins and put our faith in Jesus as our Savior. 
That's the simple ask. And then you do the heavy lifting where you make us a new creation in Christ. You change us. You change our desires. You change our trajectory. You change our direction. You change our sphere. We are no longer in the world. We're in Christ. God, you you change so much about us. And you do it. And that's why we can stand up here and and confidently say, look, if you are professing to be saved, it's going to show in your life. Because you save us where we are, but you don't leave us where we are after you save us. You give your spirit to us and you begin to shape us and mold us and conform us into the image of Jesus. God, I'm so grateful for that truth. Help us to be honest with ourselves tonight, honest with our leaders tonight, and to do business with you in whatever way we need to do business with you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.